let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 10 and look at the very last uh, portion of that. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Luke chapter 10. And uh, how many of you have ridden on a commercial airliner? Okay, so many of you are going to be familiar, at least you've heard, I don't know if you paid attention to the, the spiel, the speech, the little instructions that the stewardess or steward gives you, the airline attendant, I think we call them now, about uh, what happens if your plane suddenly loses pressure and those masks drop down from above. Now, most of the time uh, that I've been traveling on a commercial airliner, not every single time, but many of the times that I've traveled, I have little children with me, or, or even a little bit older children, but you always wonder, do you put your mask on first, and then do you help the person next to you? Or should you, because the person next to you is going to be panicking, unable to breathe effectively, should you put the mask on the little tyke first, and then put it on yourself? And of course, we know the answer is, you put it on yourself first. You've got to be able to breathe yourself before you can help the person next to you. Now, I know some of us are like, I, I can do both. I'm going to help the person next to me first, and then, well, then you're probably going to be passed out, and that'll be it, because the little person next to you is going to be, <sighs> Dad? Right? I mean, that's, that's how it's going to go. Um, you know, it's the same way in ministry. I cannot effectively minister to other people unless I am spiritually healthy. How can I bring someone to a place of spiritual maturity if I'm not spiritually mature myself? How can I help someone, um, how can I help someone grow in the Lord if I am not growing in the Lord? We mentioned last week uh, five different ministries, five aspects of ministry that we want to carry out as Elmira Baptist Church. This is true for every church, but just let me remind you what those are. Evangelize edify, that is to disciple people, to exalt God, worship Him, fellowship with each other, and then hold each other accountable. Mutual accountability, mutual submission. I cannot do any of those five things unless I have a relationship with God. I, unless I am regularly meeting with God. Now, some of you may feel like uh, Pastor, you speak about this a whole lot. It seems like every time, almost every time we meet, you're talking about meeting with God, to meet with God, you need to have time with God, and, and uh, it's, it sounds like a broken record. But let me share this true story with you from a, a coach. His name is Dale Brown. I've never met him, don't, don't know him. But he had the chance to meet with John Wooden. How many of you know who John Wooden is? Okay, we're from California. Of course we know who John Wooden is. He had 10, 10 national champion, championship teams in uh, college basketball, 10. He had four, four undefeated seasons. Now, anyone remember when the last time a team had an undefeated season was in college basketball? 1976, Indiana Hoosiers. Uh, Bobby Knight was the coach. He said, how do you know this? Because I went to Indiana, school in Indiana, college, and I played on a basketball team there, and everybody knew who Bobby Knight was, right? He had one. And we thought he was amazing. John Wooden had four. So when Dale Brown became uh, the head coach of the uh, LSU team, uh, this is about five decades ago now, about the time I was born, he called John Wooden. He said, could I have some of your time? And John Wooden said, yeah, come on out to California. I'll meet with you for several days. 
So Dale Brown said, boy, I got I to gotta make this time effective. He got out a, a legal pad and he started with the letter A. Okay, what can I ask him? Uh, all, all the things about the letter A. Um, uh, what can I ask him about achievement? And uh, John Wooden's point later, he said, a lot of people think mistake activity for achievement, but there's activity that accomplishes nothing. So, okay, that's achievement. How about attitude? He wrote down A for attitude. He went through a bunch of A's. He started the letter B. First one on B, bulletin boards. Coach Wooden, do you use bulletin boards? Do you change them every day? Uh, do you put inspiring quotes on there or do you put instructional materials? So bulletin boards. He had C, correspondence. Do you respond to every letter that you receive? I mean, he just went through the alphabet. He had all of these things ready. Went into John Wooden's house day one. He said he, they started about 8.30 in the morning. He went in. They had lunch together. About 6 o'clock at night, he looks at his watch. Dale Brown looks at his watch. He says to Coach Wooden, who's now in his 70s, he says, you know, you're, pro you're probably tired. Uh, it's been a long day. I tell you what, I'll come back tomorrow. Coach Wooden said, why? I still have energy. Let's go a couple more hours. They went till 10 o'clock that night, he said. He said he filled legal pad after legal pad after legal pad with notes. Several Spent several days with John Wooden. At the end of his time, he was saying goodbye to, to, to Coach Wooden. He'd put his things in the trunk. He had shut the trunk of his car, and Coach Wooden said, you know, you could have saved LSU and your, a lot of money and yourself a lot of time because there's only really three things it takes to have a winning team. He said, number one, have better players than the other team. Number two... Make sure that you're better players. They're going to be good players. Make sure that they're willing to put the team above themselves. And he said, number three, and I'm going to read it to you, always practice simplicity with constant repetition. Always practice simplicity with constant repetition. I can tell you, in the Christian life, there are some things that if you do not do, you will not grow as a Christian. Uh, you can come every Sunday and sing these songs, and you can go to another church and sing a different set of songs, and you can hear good preaching, you can hear bad preaching, uh, you can do a lot of things. But if you're not spending time with God yourself each day, you will not grow as a Christian. You can go out and you can knock on people's doors and try to be a witness to them. You can go to the parks and invite people to church, and, and we should do these things. You can talk to your neighbors. But if you're not spending time with God, if you're not meeting with God each day, then you're not going to grow as a Christian. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about when I say to meet with God, what am I talking about? Because I know some of you are probably thinking, you know, I, I, that doesn't, I, I don't even know what you mean by to meet with God. I know what you mean by to meet with you. I can do that. I can meet with my friend. I can meet with my boss, right? I can meet with my doctor. What does it mean to meet with God? So I have been hammering out this definition in my mind, and you, you give me flexibility to change it, but this is what I have so far. To meet with God is not a mystical experience. To meet with God is not an emotional moment. To meet with God is an, is an intentional choice to focus on Him as you worship Him, as you meditate on His Word, as you express your gratitude to Him, and as you rejoice in who He is. Here's the second part. To meet with God is to dedicate time and devote thought and emotion to who God is, to how He is at work, and to what your needs are for the day so you can cooperate with Him. I see some of you taking notes. Let me go back to the first one here because I want you to write this down. You say, well, why didn't you just write it down and give it to us? Because most of you would have left it in the seat. 
You say, how do you know that? Because on some Monday morning or Tuesday morning, somebody usually comes through here and we find all these notes on the seat. You know what I've learned? If you write it down, you're much more likely to take it home than if I write it down and give it to you. Amen. Number two, if I write things down, I remember them better. I have a saying, a, long, a short pencil is better than a long memory. A short pencil is better than a long memory. So I like to write things down. You say, well, have you written this down? Oh, I can't tell you how many times I've written this one out. Various versions, thinking about it. When I talk about meeting to God, I'm talking about choices that you make to focus on God. Now, I don't know about you. I'm busy. You're busy. If, if you don't make time, if you don't dedicate time, if you don't devote mental and emotional energy to focusing on God, it doesn't just happen. How many of you have ever met your doctor by accident? Okay, a few of you. I, I've never met my doctor by accident. I, maybe we would go to different places. I, I don't know. If I want to meet my doctor, I've got to call and schedule an appointment, and usually they tell me it's months away. Last week's speaker, Andy Olson, has a hernia. You might, may have known this or not when he came. He has a hernia, and he had just moved to California a few months ago, so he still hadn't set up his primary care physician. He went into urgent care. They did some tests. They said, you have a, a, a bad hernia. You need to get it repaired. He said, okay. He called the surgeon, and the surgeon said, you need a referral from your primary care physician. He said, I don't have a primary care physician. He said, well, then we can't schedule surgery. Ah. Uh, can't you just meet your doctor by accident and he just give you a referral? I mean, no, that isn't how it happens. He spent a whole week, he's given me a sort of a blow-by-blow blow, trying to get into his primary care physician and they keep telling him, yeah, we'd be glad to schedule you in August. He says, I have a hernia, right? He doesn't say it with that much energy because a hernia hurts when you talk, right? <laughs> You're never going to meet with God on accident. You're only going to meet with God when you dedicate time when you devote thought and emotion to who God is, to how he's at work, and to what your needs are for the day so that you can cooperate with him. We're going to look at a, an event here in our Bibles when Jesus came to Martha and Mary's house. And in a minute, after we've looked at what Mary and Martha did, I want you to think about what would you do if Jesus came to your house? Now, number one, I'd be overwhelmed, okay? But uh, let's imagine you can take a few deep breaths, okay? Calm yourself down. And then you had to host Jesus at your house. I'll tell you what I would do in a minute, and you can think about what you would do. But here in, in uh, Luke chapter 10, let's follow along. You follow along as I read out loud Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. This is from Luke 10. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Mary was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Father, thank you for this opportunity to consider um, what, what it means to meet with you. If you were to come to my house, if you were to come to my 
sister's house, my brother's house, what would be our response? What's the best way we can use that time with you? And then, Lord, help us to carry that into our evening, Sunday evening, into Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning. And remember that you never leave us or forsake us. That you are always as close as we want you to be. That we can fellowship with you and meet with you and talk with you and hear from you every single day. Remind us of that throughout this week and the coming month particularly. We ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, Mary and Martha, we're going to find out later, uh, here in two weeks, next week, next week, Billy Allardyce is going to be with us all day, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, got a lot to say, and I, I know he is so burdened for his uh, country where he ministers, and you can come hear about that next week. But here's my point, we're going to, I'm going to skip a week preaching, I'm going to preach again on the 10th, and we're going to look at more about Martha and about Mary, and you'll see some of those details in John 11 when we get there, but they lived in Bethany. Uh, a little town not far from Jerusalem. And some of you know that Mary and Martha had a brother. And Mary and Martha's brother was named Lazarus. And uh, he died. And we're going to look at that story here in, in a few weeks. But evidently, Martha and Mary and Lazarus were quite close to Jesus. Because you remember when Lazarus was sick, the sisters, Martha and Mary, sent a message to Jesus, and this is what they said, and I'll quote from John 11.3, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When they wanted Jesus to come, they said, uh, Jesus, the guy you love, the man who's a dear friend of yours, he's sick. So evidently Jesus was close to this family, and a lot of times I wish there were more details to these events in the Bible. Uh, you know, how did they meet? And what happened the first time they met? And why did Jesus, when he was on his way to Jerusalem, why did he stop in Bethany? And why did he choose Martha's house to stay in? We don't know any of those details. We just know that Jesus came to Martha's house. And I want you to notice four things in this story, just quickly here. Number one, Martha is cumbered, it says. That is, she was very busy. She was burdened. She had a lot to do. Now, I'm now at that season in life when I don't have the same household responsibilities as I, as I once had when, I, when my children lived in the house. But those of you with children in your house know that the work is never done. As soon as you clean up a room, one of the children, one of the childs go in there and he, he makes sure it isn't clean anymore. Right? As soon as you get them dressed so that they are ready to go, then they spill something on themselves or they fall into something and the next thing you know, they've got to need a new change of clothes. And this is the type of idea we have behind cumbered. She was burdened. She was busy. I mean, there was so much. Jesus was at her house. And there was so much work to do. So she was cumbered. Number two, Martha complains. She goes to Jesus. She says, don't you care? Don't you care? I can just see it because I had children. And if you've had children and you've assigned chores, have you ever noticed that your children are more concerned about their siblings' chores than their own chores? Why do I have to wash the dishes and she gets to dry, right? Why do I have to vacuum the carpets and she gets to mop floor, whatever it is, right? And that's her attitude. Complaining, don't you care? Don't you care, Jesus? But not only does she complain to Jesus, Think about this. She has the audacity to say, Jesus, you tell my sister to help me. 
She's telling Jesus what to do. Jesus, you tell my sister to help me. And I want you to see that Jesus says, Mary has made a choice. That word's going to become very important. Verse 42, one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen. Mary made a choice to sit at Jesus' feet rather than to serve. Now, I'm going to warn you, March is going to be a busy month for Elmira Baptist Church. If you serve in some way here at Elmira Baptist Church, you're going to be busy. Because we're coming up on Resurrection Sunday, as many people call it, they call it Easter, that's, that's fine. But the last day of March is that Resurrection Sunday, but with God's help and by His grace, we're going to meet outside on that Sunday morning. So you can invite all your friends and neighbors and you say, we'll never get them in this room. You're right. So we're not even going to try to meet in this room. We're going to meet outside. Last year we had uh, over 140 people join us outside and we still had seats available. So start now inviting people to come. Invite family members, invite neighbors, invite people. But if we're going to meet outside, you know what that means? Somebody's got to set up a lot of chairs. Somebody's going to be busy. We have a, a workday scheduled for March 9th. It's in your bulletin. We have a workday scheduled for March 9th. We have uh, invitation distribution scheduled for March 16th. We have a ladies' prayer breakfast and blitzing scheduled for March 23rd. And we have more blitzing scheduled for March 30th. That's just about every Saturday in the month. March is going to be a busy month. And it's easy for us to become cumbered about much serving, to become burdened and busy and forget that the most important thing that we can choose to do is to meet with God. The most important thing we can choose to do is to dedicate time and devote thought and emotion, heart and mind, to meeting with God, to who He is, to how He is at work, and what my needs are for the day so that I can cooperate with him in that work. So there's some lessons that I want us to draw from this story. I told you the story. Here's lesson number one that I want you to draw from the story. I want you to recognize, first of all, whether you are a Martha or you are a Mary. So I'm going to give you some, uh, a way to test that. You ever go to the doctor? I'm going to use a lot of medical illustrations today. And they say, you might have this disease. You might have that disease. We're going to give you a test to figure out which one it is. That's what we're going to do for you. We're going to give you a test to see if you fall in the Martha category or the Mary category. And I'm going to take these items from uh, the, the events that we just read in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. So you can refer back to the text if you wonder where I'm getting this from. Number one, Martha is the Christian who's constantly busy but rarely prays. Constantly busy. Notice Martha is not doing bad stuff. She's not sinning. Uh, she's not, you know, trying to break into somebody's house and steal their things. She's not gossiping. She's not uh, burning the meal. I mean, she's not doing a lot of things, but what she is doing is she's busy, but she doesn't have time to just sit at Jesus' feet. And if as a Christian, you find yourself so busy and you think to yourself, I'm so busy. I don't have time to pray. You are too busy. Now, I don't like it when this happens, but I would rather you come to me and say, Pastor, I am so busy with these ministries. Let me know what those ministries are. I don't have time to pray. I will make time for you to pray. I will take some of those ministries. We can find someone else to do your ministries. We cannot find someone else to pray for you. Are you too busy to pray? Now, I'm not saying that Mary is the Christian who prays and never does anything. We have a lot of Christians here who do a lot of praying and they stay busy. And you've got to be able to do both. 
because your ministry, your energy for your ministry is going to come out of your in real life relationship with God. Remember, you've got to put the mask in an emergency situation on an airplane. You've got to put the mask on your own face first before you can help the person next to you. Martha is the Christian who is frustrated and unhappy and overwhelmed. Jesus said to her, you are careful and troubled. You are careful and troubled about many things. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but just think in your own mind. In the last um, two months here, the first two months of, of, uh, of 2024, January, February of 2024, have you ever come to points where you just feel overwhelmed? You have more to do than you have hours in the day. You have people expecting more from you than you can give. That's not uncommon. But don't sit there in that frustration and unhappiness and overwhelmness because God doesn't want you to feel that way. God wants you to be patient. God wants you to be joyful. God wants you to be optimistic. Now, by nature, I'm a pessimist. <laughs> I am a pessimist. I can tell you all the things that are going to go wrong between now and... God doesn't want me to be pessimistic. God doesn't want you to be overwhelmed. Martha is the Christian who complains and is critical of others. Martha comes to Jesus and says, Don't you care? Don't you care? I'm here bustling about. I'm trying to make a meal and serve it to you and bring the, the water to you and all these, keep the house clean. I, I've got all this work to do. And Mary is just sitting there. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I look around and I think, I do this and I do that. And that Christian over there, what are they doing? Because a Martha is a Christian who's concerned, is concerned. That's how they often frame it. That's how I often frame it. Concerned that others aren't doing their fair share. What's her complaint? She says, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve? What's that next word? Alone? I'm the only one serving here. I don't even know where Lazarus is in this story. I wish I knew where he was too. I'm the only one that's serving. Doesn't it feel like sometimes you're the only person who's serving? Because, and this is so true, just think of it. You always see, you always see everything that you do. You don't see everything other people do. There's so much ministry that this church does. Remember, church is people, it's not a building. There's so much ministry that you people do that I never see. I never see it. You, you put in hours in Bible study, you're, you're discipling people, you're praying for people. I don't see how much you pray. And if I'm a Martha, then I'm going to complain, I'm going to be critical, I'm going to be concerned that other people are not doing their fair share. If I'm a Mary, you know what? A Mary is confident that God sees. A Mary is confident that God sees. A Martha works and worries. Works and worries. A Martha works and worries. A Mary worships and waits and works. Now, a Mary doesn't do nothing. In this case, she's sitting at Jesus' feet. Even that is something. One thing is needful, Jesus said. But a, a Mary will worship and wait and work. 
But here are these last two uh, 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 distinctions between Martha and Mary, because this is what's so important. A Martha is dissatisfied with Jesus. A Martha is dissatisfied with Jesus. She comes to Jesus, complaining and commanding him, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? And number two, you tell her to help me. She's dissatisfied with Jesus. You know, a Mary is satisfied with Jesus. Now, life doesn't always happen the way I want it to happen. In fact, life rarely happens the way I want it to happen. I cannot tell you how many times something turns out differently than I was planning it. But when I become dissatisfied with God, that's a symptom of a Martha attitude. Because we can trust God to make choices for us that we we don't make for ourselves. So number one, a Martha is dissatisfied with Jesus. And frankly, Martha is disappointed with Jesus. She's disappointed with Jesus. Now you think, disappointed with Jesus? That's crazy. But have you ever found yourself disappointed with God? He takes a loved one out of your life. You say, God, how can you do that? A child or a spouse or a parent. And you know what? That's, That's being disappointed with God. I remember a time in my life, very dark time, I had served, I had worked, I had prayed, I had tried, and it felt like all of it just crumbled into nothing. And I said, God, I did this for you, and you didn't bless it. I was disappointed in God. I finally had to realize, you know what my problem is? I think I'm the one in charge here. I get to tell God what to do, and he didn't do it my way. That's Martha's attitude. Jesus, you tell my sister. She's got to help me. I'm in charge in this house. But the Mary, the Christian that is a Mary, doesn't have those expectations. Mary has expectations. Don't get, get me wrong. But Mary doesn't have her own expectations of what God will do. And here's the difference between Mary and Martha. Between Martha and Mary. To sit at Jesus' feet is to meet with God. To sit at Jesus' feet is to meet with God. And Mary has realized, she realizes there's one thing that's needful. She's chosen the best part. She needs to take this opportunity to meet with Jesus. Now, I asked you earlier, what would you do if Jesus came to your house? And I know what I would do. I just know myself. You know the first thing I'd do? Jesus, can I get you anything to drink? Right? Go to the refrigerator, go to the pantry. Is there anything we can give to Jesus to eat? Now, hopefully you don't have to back up a step and try to hide your music or cover up your library, all the books that you shouldn't have or or hide the movies that you've been watching. I hope that's not you. That wouldn't be me, but I immediately think, okay, how can I serve? Did I vacuum? Maybe I can get someone to take him outside for a minute and I'll vacuum the floors real quick. Right? I'd be busy trying to serve. If Jesus comes to your house, what's the most important thing you could do? Sit at his feet. Hear what he has to say. Talk with him. Now, don't misunderstand. Jesus doesn't care whether your carpets need to be vacuumed as much as he wants to spend time with you. Jesus Jesus doesn't need your drink of water because Jesus is the living water. Think about the whole conversation at the well, right? With the uh, Samaritan woman. Jesus doesn't need 
your food. Jesus is the living bread. Now, I, I know, and if, if you've done any study of psychology, you know that some people, they're just task-focused, and some people are just people-focused, and, and some cultures are task-focused. We live in a very task-focused culture, and some cultures are very people-focused. This came real clear to me in Mongolia. Mongolians are very much people-focused. I don't care if you got the job done. It's the people that are important. Now, I'm glad we're in a task-focused society because I want things to get done. And I can't tell you how many times I was frustrated in Mongolia. Things weren't getting done, and the excuse was people. Well, if your excuse is people, you have a guaranteed excuse every time. But it's not about being task-focused or people-focused. It's not about serving or sitting. God wants us to meet with Him regularly. To devote that time, to dedicate that mental energy and that emotional energy to who He is to the way he's already at work in our lives, and then say, okay, now what do I need today so I can cooperate with him? Let me remind you, secondly, uh, now that you've identified whether you're a Martha or you're a Mary, let me identify, secondly, no technology can substitute for an in-real-life relationship with God. Some of you like texting. They have all these little acronyms in texting. One of them is LOL. And a lot of people I, I, I've talked to, they never realized that's for laughing out loud. They just thought it was lull. Well, I don't know what lull means, right? Another, another uh, uh, acronym that I see is IRL, which stands for, I should do it backwards for you, IRL, right? Which stands for in real life. There's no way to substitute technology for an in real life relationship with God. I was reading... Some, some information they were sending to pastors about discipleship in your church and a new way to disciple people using their cell phone. I don't believe you can disciple people effectively using their cell phone. And here's why not. You say, well, you're just against technology. No. Why do you use your cell phone? Because it makes something quicker and easier. Is discipleship quick and easy? No. So I don't know how you take a device that's supposed to make things quick and easy and disciple people. No technology can substitute for a relationship with God. An in real life relationship with God requires time. You say, well, just give it 30 seconds a day on your cell phone. That, that can't be a discipleship. Because it requires time to sit at Jesus' feet. It requires time. And I know what Mary, Martha would say. What would Martha say? But there is so much to do. I don't have time. You can't put the mask on the person sitting next to you on the airplane until you've put the mask on yourself. You can't effectively serve other people until you have a relationship with God that is real and that's vital to you. It takes priority it takes focus. It takes devotion. Jesus said, Mary has chosen. There's a choice that we make whether we're going to spend time with God or not. It's a choice. It takes mental and emotional energy, but most of all, and I believe this is the biggest reason that we don't spend time with Jesus, because spending time with Jesus takes humility. Where is Mary sitting? At Jesus' feet. 
the picture is here's Jesus and he's sitting on a chair or a stool or some other thing and she's literally sitting on the floor. She's humble. She's not there to tell Jesus what to do. She's there to hear what Jesus has to say. Think about Martha. Is Martha humble? Don't you care? Don't you? Tell my sister that she's got to help me. That's not the attitude of a humble person. No technology can substitute for an in real life relationship with God. Don't let your service be a substitute for sitting at Jesus' feet. I know a lady, God bless her, she's passed on to, to uh, be with our Savior now, and uh, Minnie Stonebaugh, some of you know her. Boy, what a servant. Boy, she did all kinds of things in her lifetime. She was a single mother, but she taught Sunday school. When, when her kids grew up, she went to Africa for several years to work with missionaries. They're just always constantly busy. But I know what she would tell you. Don't substitute service for sitting at Jesus' feet. A Christian can be too busy. If you don't have time to pray, you're too busy. If you don't have time to meditate on God's message to you, you're too busy. If you don't have time to worship, you are too busy. I'm going to skip this last one because I'm going to come back to it. Let me give you some applications, and I, I know what time it is. Let me give you some applications. But before I do that, one, one last illustration that will help you, and I'm going to read from a book written by a man named Joseph Carroll. So this is his story. I read it to you. Joseph Carroll said, I understand the pressures of life very well. I have lived in literally scores of homes in my 40 years of ministry. On one occasion, I lived in the home of a woman who had seven children and a very unsympathetic husband. She had lost two other children at birth. And though she had a large home to care for, and attended to the family business in her spare time, seven children. In her spare time, I never saw her disturbed once. There was always the fragrance of Christ about her life, and I marveled at it. While staying in her home during a conference, now, stop right there, stop. This lady has seven children. She has an unsympathetic husband. And when the pastor says, I need someone to host our speaker, she says, I'll do it. I mean, this lady's amazing. But she's never disturbed. She's calm. She has, as he describes it, and this is a great phrase, a fragrance of Christ about her life. So let me tell you what her secret is. I continue to read. While staying in her home during a conference, one morning, about five o'clock, I noticed light filtering in past the door. So I opened it very quietly, and I saw this woman kneeling by her piano. I quietly closed the door. The next morning, the same thing happened. Five o'clock in the morning, light is on, praying by her piano. The next morning, the same thing, five o'clock in the morning, the lady's praying by her piano. So I asked her, what time do you rise to seek the Lord? Seven children, works in the family business in her spare time, hosting the conference speaker. He asked her, what time do you rise to seek the Lord? She replied, oh, that's not my decision. <laughs> I didn't expect that when I was reading this book. It was not my decision. I made a choice. There's that word again, choice. I made a choice long ago that when he wanted to have fellowship with me, I was available. There are times when he calls me at 5 o'clock in the morning. There are times when he calls me at 6 o'clock in the morning. On one occasion, he called me at 2 o'clock in the morning. I think just to test me. But always she would get up, 
go to her piano stool and worship her Lord. So I asked, how long do you stay? Oh, that's up to him too. When he tells me to go back to bed, I go back. If he doesn't want me to sleep, I just stay up. She was the epitome of serenity. She had made a choice, a choice that was not easy for her to make, for God had to take an idol out of her life before she made her choice. But when he took that idol, she was Christ's and Christ's alone. Here's a lady who had learned that the secret of service, because she's busy, she's got a lot to do. She's not getting help from her husband. He's unsympathetic. She's got seven kids. She's got a big home to take care of. She's hosting the speaker. She works in the family business in her spare time. She had learned that the secret was spending time with God every day. Now, I'm a big proponent, and I encourage you to have a set time when you meet with God. But this woman didn't have a set time, and yet there she was at 5 o'clock in the morning. Now, if you were to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and spend time with God before going to work, that's a great set time. Very, very few people are going to disturb you at 5 o'clock in the morning. 5 o'clock at night, probably not so good. I get a lot of phone calls at 5 o'clock at night. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that's not a good time for me to, to meet with God. Let me give you the application now. Conscious choices. If you are going to meet with God, you have to make a choice. And guess what? You have to make that choice every day. You'll make that choice today. If you haven't already, you'll make that choice today. And then when tomorrow, you'll have to make that choice again. And then you'll have to make the choice again. This is the problem. Okay, I said it. This is the problem with motivational preaching. A good preacher can motivate you so you get up out of your seat and you say, I'm going to meet with God. And then you wake up late the next morning because you forgot to set your alarm or you hit the snooze button one too many times and you look at your watch and you realize you got to be at work soon. And so you get up and you go to work and nothing changes because you don't make a choice. You're motivated. Let's, let's do this. Yeah, all right. Woohoo! It, it is a motivation. It's with a choice you're going to make tomorrow morning or tomorrow night whenever you choose to meet with God. It's a choice you've got to make. And guess what? You will, you will, you will be interrupted. I am interrupted. My schedule changes and I miss that time that I set aside with God, even though it's early in the morning. Some people are even earlier risers than me. And they'll say, hey, pastor, let's get together in the morning for coffee. I say, yeah, what time? Six o'clock in the morning. I think, what time do they even get up? What coffee shops are open at 6 in the morning? And then I would find out there's a lot of coffee shops that are open at 6 in the morning. And my time gets interrupted too. So guess what? I've got to make a choice whether I'm going to meet with God that day or not. You've got to make a choice to eat healthy. I'm, I'm using that as an analogy. What are you reading? What, what books are you reading? What, what things are you reading online? What movies are you watching? What music are you listening to? What podcasts are you listening to? Who are your friends? Where do you get your news? Because there's so many of these things that's designed to carry us away from God. And if I have a steady diet of podcasts and news and books and movies and music and online uh, uh, viewing and reading that carries me away from God, it's really hard to make that choice to spend time with God. It's really hard. So if we're going to say yes to God, we're going to have to say no to some things that our flesh and our old man craves. 
Number one, conscious choices. Number two, persevering patience. Because like I said, you are going to be tested. You're not going to be able to meet with him the same time every day. You mothers know this. There is no time in the 24 hours of the day that a mother can say, this is my uninterrupted time. Because children don't understand uninterrupted time. They just know they're hungry. They're you know, thirsty. They wet themselves. I mean, all kinds of things come up. And so it takes perseverance. To sit at Jesus' feet takes perseverance. You, you will miss that day sitting at Jesus' feet. And I don't encourage you to miss that day, but don't say, well, I missed yesterday, I guess. No, today is today. I can't change yesterday's choice, but I can make today's choice. And you know what I do that's wrong? I think, well, tomorrow I'll make that. I can't make tomorrow's choice either. I can only make today's choice. You've got to persevere. You've got to stick at it. I mentioned this morning at the uh, Sunday School Assembly, there are many times I come to my time that's devoted to prayer. I come, I, it's set aside. I'm going to pray. Nobody's going to disturb me. And I don't want to pray because I'm discouraged because I doubt that God's listening to me. Not, not because God never doesn't hear me, but because my own flesh fights against me. And I've got to say, I'm going to pray anyway. Sometimes I even start my prayers by saying, God, I don't feel like praying. By the way, does God already know that? <laughs> he doesn't go, oh, really? Well, let me help you. God already knows. But I say, start by saying, God, I don't feel like praying. I need your spirit to fill me, to motivate me, to lead me, to protect me as I pray. It takes perseverance. Let me encourage you also to focus. I mentioned conscious choices, persevering patience, Focus on filled. Focus on being filled. When it comes to meeting with God, focus on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that God is far more interested in meeting with you than you are in meeting with Him? Now, I, I, if I can go back to the earlier basketball story, can you imagine Dale Brown? He's a new head coach at a position on the other side of the country, and he calls Coach Wooden, and Coach Wooden doesn't give him an hour or two hours. Coach Wooden gives him days to ask his questions. Uh, wouldn't that be neat? I mean, Wooden's dead now, so it wouldn't be neat now, but wouldn't it have been neat back then? But here's what's neat. God will give you all the time you want to meet with him. God never looks at his watch and says, you know what, we're going to have to cut this short today because I've got to be somewhere. I've done that to God. God, I've got a, I've got a meeting and I've I got to go. But God has never said to me, I, I, I've got to go help someone else. You're going to have to take a rain check. God is far more interested in meeting with you than you are in meeting with Him. So focus on being filled with the Spirit. Rest in God's grace. Know that God has you exactly where He wants you. I met someone just yesterday, not, not a church member here, but met someone out while we were evangelizing who said, I don't even want to live in California anymore. And I said, yeah, I, I can understand the feeling, but this is where God wants you. How do I know that? Because he was in California. I mean, that's where God wants him. Now, if God wants to move you out of state, follow the Lord's leading. But you can be really upset and complain about all the things that you don't like in your life, or you can accept that God has you where He wants you. You can complain and be upset about your health. But trust me, God has you where He wants you. You can be worried about aging. By the way, my mom's been telling me recently that aging is not for sissies. <laughs> I, 
yeah, she's right. And you can complain, and it's just, she's not complaining. She's just making a statement of fact. You know, this is not easy, getting old. And you can complain, and God, why can't it be this way? And God, why can't it be that way? Listen, God has you where he wants you. Focus on being filled with the Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. The Bible calls us on three different occasions. The, God, the Bible calls us to pray in the Spirit. It doesn't mean pray in some language you've never spoken before. It doesn't mean get all worked up and have some emotional moment. It means be aware that the Holy Spirit is leading you as you pray. God's grace is sufficient for every need. Now, let me go back to my definition one more time. If you didn't get a chance to write it down earlier, you're going to have to write much faster this time. But to meet with God is not a mystical experience or emotional moment. To meet with God is an intentional choice. It's a choice you are going to make. And whether you meet with God or not, you've made a choice, haven't you? Some of you tomorrow are going to say, well, you know, I'm going to be really busy today. I will meet with God Tuesday. You just made a choice. But meeting with God is not as important as anything you might have to do. Meeting with God is an intentional choice. And you're choosing, here's your choice, to focus on God. So meeting, notice in this definition, there's nothing about reading your Bible. There's nothing about prayer. Now, I think you're going to have to read your Bible if you're going to meditate on His Word. And I think you're going to have to pray if you're going to recognize what He's doing and you want to cooperate with Him. But it's not just, uh, yeah, I read my Bible. Yeah, I prayed. No, you're choosing to focus not on yourself, not on your problems. You're choosing to focus on God. You're going to worship Him. You're going to rejoice in who He is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We worship the God who opened up the Red Sea, caused the dry land to appear, and His people walked across on dry land. And even more amazing, when the Egyptians decided to follow them, the ground turned mushy again, their wheels were mired in the mud, and the waters came back over the top and destroyed the entire Egyptian chariot corps. That's the God we serve. We can rejoice in that. We can rejoice in that regardless of what Governor Newsom does. We can rejoice in that even if our presidential choices are Trump or Biden. We can rejoice in that if you've lost your job. You can rejoice in that if you've lost a loved one. See, meeting with God is not about the way I feel on any particular day. Meeting with God is an intentional choice to focus on Him. It's going to require you to dedicate time. It's going to require you to devote thought and emotion to who God is, to how He's at work, and to what your needs are for the day. Now, if you serve here at Elmira Baptist Church, please don't misunderstand. You need to serve. I need you to serve. God needs you to serve here. But you've got to put the metaphorical mask on your own face first before you can put the mask on other people. I don't need you to just be busy in the month of March. Don't just volunteer for everything because if you serve enough, God will bless you. No, God wants to spend time with you. Jesus came to Martha's house and and, and he was sitting there and instead of sitting at his feet and learning, she's busy. Don't be busy when God wants to meet with you. Some of you may not even have a relationship with God. For you, the first thing you need is a relationship with God. You need to know that your sins are forgiven and that you have eternal life. Some of you have a relationship with God, but frankly, it's on life support. It's hooked up to breathing machines. 
You've got the tube down your throat to, to, to give you a nourishment. You've got the IVs in your arm. Listen, we serve a God who said, Lazarus can't come forth and a dead man came out of the grave. He can revive your relationship. But you've got to make the choice. You've got to focus on Him. Father, thank You for the opportunity we have today to spend some time in fellowship with each other around a meal. It's always a blessing to me to sit down with brothers and sisters whom I love and eat some food together and talk about what You're doing in our lives. How much more then should we rejoice in our opportunity to sit and fellowship with You? Should we rejoice in our opportunity just to set aside? Yes, we're busy. Oh, yes, we've got tasks. We've got a task list longer than our arm, and it just gets longer every day, and we can focus on that, or we can set that aside. We can focus on who you are, on how you're at work in our lives, on how good you are to us. We can worship you. We can thank you, and we can spend time with you. And at the end of that time, we can come away energized, invigorated, ready to meet our day. Father, I pray for those that are rushing into their day without taking time to meet with you and they're overwhelmed and they're frustrated and they're angry and they they don't understand why they have to do all the work and no one else is helping them. Father, in your wisdom, in your love, would you reveal to them that they're a Martha, that their problem is they're too busy. They need to change their priorities so that they sit at your feet first, so they put on the mask first before they try to help others. Father, give each one of us strength for this busy month of March. And I'm excited about what you're doing. I'm I'm just thrilled that I get to be a part of what you're doing. And may I spend time with you every day. May we spend time with you every day meeting with you and rejoicing in you. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. We give back to you. We serve you because you have given us everything and more. And we're thankful to just serve. Give us the right attitude, the right motivation. And then, Lord, remind us to make the right choices. Today, tomorrow, throughout this week, and throughout the month of March, we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.